some of the answers to questions that you might have um, about spiritual gifts. How do we get them? How do we use them? What gifts do I have? What is the purpose of the gift? Are gifts the same as natural talents? Are all gifts still available? Can I choose my own gift? What happens if I don't even have a gift? And what happens if I don't ever use my gift? So to start with, let's just say this, that the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, in a believer's life. Maybe I should clarify it that way, in a believer's life, as opposed to natural talents. God is the author and the provider of all gifts. All good gifts come from him. The scripture tells us that. And so even if you have natural talents, you're able to play the piano, you're able to sing, you're able to uh, do gymnastics or whatever, those are gifts from God just as he is a provider of all good gifts. But spiritual gifts are a special uh, supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life that are given to them at the time of their salvation, at the time of conversion. And each believer has at least one gift and may have more than one gift. We can't see the Spirit of God, but we can see the work displayed in the lives of believers who are exercising their spiritual gifts. When we talk about spiritual gifts, we need to be discerning. Not every manifestation or supposed manifestation is from the Spirit of God. And I'll give you some examples. In my Christian life, I have visited some churches and I have heard and seen some very strange things in the years that I've been a believer. I have heard people speak in tongues. The interesting thing is I have never seen nor heard in churches that, that um, speak in tongues, I have never seen or heard those who interpret those tongues. And yet those gifts are required to be side by side, back to back. The scripture tells us that. I have witnessed people being so-called slain in the spirit, where you've probably seen some of these things on television. But I have observed uh, this as a trick of pushing somebody and making them lose their balance. I do not see this as a practice of the apostles. Look in vain in the scripture. You will not find the apostles slaying people in the spirit as it is practiced today. It is practiced today like a three-ring circus. And it does not glorify God, and it does not build up his church. I have seen services. I've been to services where a preacher will actually point to somebody in the audience, and they will tell that person something as if the preacher is receiving a new divine revelation directly from God and is speaking that revelation to that individual. And they will often start by saying, thus says the Lord, a common phrase that is used by prophets in the Old Testament. 
And they'll proceed to tell them their future and what they must do. And I have actually stood up in meetings like this, and I have walked out. I was in a meeting like this with a group of young people. And um, as I stood up to go, I said to the young people, let's get out of here. This is not of God. And the preacher stopped me, and he says, you, in the back. And he pointed right at me. I thought, oh, good. I'm going to have a divine revelation, too. (laughs) He says, I'm not finished yet. Sit down. I said, well, you may not be finished yet, sir, but I said, what you are saying are lies. You are telling this audience lies, and we are not going to be part of it, and we walked out of the meeting. He was a liar, and he was deceiving the gullible. You may go into a church where women are getting up one after the other after the other to declare a word from the Lord. And I think, what a peculiar thing I'm seeing here. When the Lord forbids that, how is that the Spirit of God moving them to do what the Scripture clearly forbids? I've been at times in places where the whole church is filled with people who are making noises. And I've seen this as well televised of laughter and screaming and barking like dogs, all in the name of being filled or being directed by the Spirit of God. It's absolute nonsense. Not all manifestations are from the Holy Spirit. And so I I wonder if some of these things were taking place at Corinth as they are in our day. And the question has to be, is this really a movement of the Holy Spirit of God, or is it another spirit working to confuse and deceive believers? And the natural question To start with, and Paul begins by answering that question in chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it. Now, concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I changed the wording slightly. Go back to verse 1 there, Daniel. So, in your Bibles, if you have them in front of you, you will actually see that the word gifts is italicized, which means it is a supplied word. It's not in the original. It's supplied to make sense of the context of the passage, and there are many verses like that in the Scripture, you'll see that. Although the chapter really is dealing with spiritual gifts, I don't think that's what Paul is talking about initially here. I think what he is talking about here is when we see manifestations that seem unusual or, or seem even supernatural, are they of God or are they of the devil? And I think that's what he's referring to here first. Now, again, as I say, the rest of the chapter does deal with the subject of spiritual gifts. It's not a bad word to have here, but I don't think that's what he actually means in verse 1. Although the chapter, um, so the, the chapter is really addressing, or this verse is addressing spiritual manifestations. Are they of God or are they of the devil? Are they good or are they evil? When Paul came, when he first came to Corinth, he demonstrated, he says this in chapter, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 12, he demonstrated the power of the Spirit of God with signs and wonders. His gift was one of the foundational gifts of the early church. The Lord gave apostles and prophets two foundational gifts to establish the church and to uh, validate Uh, To validate those gifts, he gave uh, signs and wonders to those who were apostles and prophets. 
And so he says in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. There were sign gifts. There were spiritual or miraculous manifestations of the Spirit of God uh, working through the apostles, confirming their authenticity and the authenticity of the message they proclaimed. God was delivering a new message. This wasn't old Israel. This was new. It was fresh. It was something different. It was something the world had never heard before. And he was proclaiming the message and uh, authenticating his messengers. In Hebrews 2.4, it says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And during the time when the New Testament was being written, was, was taking its written form, uh, the signs continued. But upon the completion of the written word of God, the, the sign gifts ceased. There were no longer apostles. There were no longer prophets because the written word was completed and the gifts ceased. And so did the accompanying signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit of God was truly working with valid spiritual gifts. But Satan was also hard at work and he was trying the best he could to destroy the work and to counterfeit the true spiritual gifts with his counterfeits. And it, it led to terrible confusion in the church. And you'd have to ask the question, well, is this real or is it counterfeit? And how do you tell the difference? You may hear people claim today that miracles and signs and wonders are taking place today. And there may be things that appear to be supernatural, uh, supernatural events that occur, but even if something supernatural takes place, it does not necessarily mean it is from the Lord. We have to be very careful. Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The scripture tells us, and you can do a study at home on this, that Jesus demonstrated many miracles, signs, wonders. What was he doing those for? To show himself off? To show that uh, he was, you know, performing a three-ring circus? Was his to attract a crowd to himself? It was to validate who he said he was. He said that he was God. He said that he was the Messiah. And these signs or these miracles that he did were to validate or to uh, confirm who he was. Jesus gave sign gifts to the 12 disciples. And they were also to demonstrate that the disciples had the authority to go out and preach the gospel as he had commanded them. And we see that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. When he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. <clears throat> but Satan has his counterfeits. 
As I mentioned, just because there seems to be something supernatural taking place, it does not mean that it's from the Lord. Satan has power too. It is a power that is limited. God allows him to only go so far. And we see this um, in, in Satan causing um, or having the power to cause sickness and disease and even death. Uh, Job is an example of this. Paul, the woman who was bound with an infirmity for 18 years, are examples of those who were afflicted by Satan. That was a supernatural occurrence that took place. But notice Satan's um, signs are destructive, not beneficial. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to build up the church um, to um, edify. Satan used magicians and sorcerers named Jonas and Jambres to resist Moses' uh, message when he was um, speaking to Pharaoh. And they mimicked the first few plagues in Egypt. But even they had to acknowledge that what Moses was doing was clearly um, different than theirs. And they said, clearly or, or surely, this is the finger of God. And we see a rise in counterfeits today, liars and deceivers who attempt to mimic the true work of God. Many of them are TV uh, or televangelists, as they call them, uh, including some who have already been exposed as frauds. Um, I, I can't believe one of the guys that was, was exposed as a fraud many years ago was Peter Popoff. Um, I actually spoke about him 10 or 15 years ago, warning people about him. And uh, he was exposed on national TV as being a guy who was performing miracles and healings and all the rest of it um, because his wife and some of his group had gone into the audience and had taken cheat sheets, written down the names and the, the condition of the people who were in the audience. And his wife would sit in a back room with a, with a microphone and he would have an earpiece in his ear and she would broadcast to him the name and he'd go... David, David Robertson, you're suffering from lack of sleep or whatever it was. You know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, some, something that he could claim that, that he could cure. And uh, people were shocked that their names were being stated from the pulpit. But somebody who, had, who was obviously opposed to, to, to this had gone in with, with equipment and, and had picked up the radio signal and had tape the whole thing, and then broadcast the whole sham, or the scam, or whatever you want to call it, on, um, on public television. It was um, eye-opening for many people, but it, it was, the warnings had already been out there. He's back on TV again, doing the same sort of stuff. Um, Benny Hinn, and so many others like them that are liars and deceivers. The Bible tells us that in the last days, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, uh, uh, unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It seems that the church at Corinth had both the true and the false in their midst. In 1 Corinthians 1, 7, Paul says that they did not lack any uh, lacking any gift of the Holy Spirit. But in this chapter, it seems as if they were, there were some in their midst who were con artists, those who were mimicking the gifts, those who were counterfeits, 
and they were likely motivated by evil spirits. So the question comes, how do you tell the difference? How do you distinguish what is supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit and what is supernatural manifestation from Satan and demons? So I want to I just go through really quickly um, some differences. <clears throat> the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to edify, exhort, and comfort. That's the purpose of the gifts. The devil sows tares among the good seed, the scripture says. He oppresses. He is full of deceit and fraud as, and is an enemy of righteousness and perverts the straight way of the Lord. Those are very distinct differences in um, gifts, shall we call it. The Holy Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Truth. And the Bible says that he guides in all truth. The devil, Jesus said, is a murderer. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. The Holy Spirit is a helper and a comforter to teach and to bring assurance and help in time of tribulation that we might also comfort others. The devil, on the other hand, is an adversary, and he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So that's the introduction to our chapter. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be Ignorant. There is no reason for believers to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. We have very clear teaching in the scripture, and there's a lot of it. The gifts are real, and the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit for the benefit and for the growth of the entire church. Some of them are for the entire church worldwide and for all generations. And we have an example of that would be an apostle. The apostles' teaching, for example, is for the entire church uh, from the, from, um, the uh, point of Pentecost until the rapture. It's, it's for all, the whole church. And there are some that are localized gifts uh, for the individual congregations. But they are supernatural gifts. They are not natural talents or learned talents. A spiritual gift is a, an enablement given by the Holy Spirit to an individual believer. And as I said earlier, the, the purpose of the gift is for the building up of the body. That's the purpose. Verse 2 says, You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Many of the Corinthians um, had come out of idolatry. The, the city was full of idolatry. And they were familiar with demonic activity. They, have, they may have already experienced in their um, pre-salvation days demonic power and may have seen the effects of demonic activity and heard voices that alarmed them. I have spoken to many believers who came out of a drug background and, um, or a religion that worshipped idols and they tell me that they have heard and they have seen things that freaked them out. Some experienced hallucinations where they saw things that were not real. Uh, some experienced psychotic episodes where they lose touch with reality, where they see or hear things that do not 
exist or believe things that are not true. Many experienced fear or paranoia as part of the demonic influence of idolatry. And Paul describes their former life of idolatry as those who were carried away or those who were led astray. When a person is um, an idolater, there is no freedom in idolatry. It is bondage. There is no liberty. They are enslaved. There is no light. The scripture says they are in darkness. There is no life. They are actually being led to the slaughter. But that's where they came out of. That's where uh, many of the believers in Corinth came out of idolatry and um, they're now saved. So as they hear teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're going, well, uh, is this different than what I experienced as an idolater? Is it somehow um, better? Is it, am I going to experience the same sort of things? And Paul is answering these questions. Um, Are the gifts of the Spirit different than what we experience through demonic powers? Yeah, it's different in source, for one. It's from God, not from Satan. It's different in purpose. It builds up believers. It does not tear people down. So how do we distinguish the real from the fake? Well, Paul gives us an answer in verse 3. He says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, God gave a very simple test to distinguish whether or not a prophet was really a prophet of God or not. And it was a simple test. He said, if a prophet or someone comes and he says, thus saith the Lord, and he says that that he has a new revelation and he's talking about a future event, if that prophecy does not come to pass, he did not speak from the Lord. Simple test. The... um, response of the believers, of the, of the uh, Israelites, was to stone that person to death for lying about speaking the Lord's word. And so that was the test found in Deuteronomy 19, 20 through 22. If he was a true prophet of God, what he said would come to pass. And it was very interesting that the Lord gave his prophets very often a near fulfillment and a future fulfillment of prophecies that they gave. The near fulfillment proved that they were speaking God's word. And it it was evidence that what they said about the future would also come to pass. A false prophet would speak and it would not come to pass. It couldn't. He was speaking lies. And so they were to remove them uh, from their midst. And they would uh, not pass the test, they were fakes. In the New Testament, we have a deciding test as well. If a person claims to be speaking by the Spirit of God, they will never call Jesus accursed. That won't happen. Do you know that many of these false religious leaders um, speak blasphemous words, absolute blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, against the Lord Jesus Christ, against God? And uh, yet people flock to them as if they're listening to something good. They will never curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Satan or demons will always blaspheme and curse the name of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit will never influence somebody to do that. The Holy Spirit will always exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, and believers under the influence of the Holy Spirit will say, Jesus is Lord. It's worth noting that most members of cults and most of the teaching of cults attack the person and the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually one of the hallmarks of a cult. It's one of the first things I talk to people about when they come to my door. Who is Jesus Christ? Ask the question. And they will tell you in no uncertain terms what they think of him. And it, as soon as they open their mouth, I can tell it's false. No matter how spiritual they may sound or how articulate they may be in their arguments, they fail in this first and most important test. Who is Jesus Christ? And if they do not proclaim him as Lord, then anything less than that is, um, shows them that they're fake. It's speaking of him in a derogatory way. If they say that, well, he was nothing but a good man, that, that's a blasphemous statement. He is God. And it should end the conversation right there. They're deceivers. They are anti-Christ. They are against Christ. The second part of the test is that a person must be able to sincerely confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, you can say, well, anybody can say those words. Of course, anybody can quote those words. But it doesn't mean that they believe those words. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. Is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? For Paul to address this issue at the beginning of the chapter causes us to assume that there were people in Corinth who claimed to have spiritual gifts, but they were counterfeits. And they may have fooled a lot of people, but they didn't fool Paul. And the test he gave to the Corinthian church should help them to distinguish those who were religious imposters and those who were genuinely controlled by the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit here. The gifts, um, the word gifts um, is charisma. It's actually an interesting thing. Uh, Brother um, Eddie prayed this morning about God's grace and his grace to us. And actually the, the word gift from the word charisma, uh, grace is in that word. And it's the grace of God giving us gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are gifts that God gives us through his Holy Spirit that are divine enablements for believers to serve the body of Christ. So in verse 4, we see that Paul says um, there are diversities of gifts. So just take that as a heading because we're going to look at these individually. Diversities of gifts, 
But notice the same spirit. Verse 5. There are differences of ministries. That's the second point. But the same Lord. And then verse 6. There are diversities of activities. That's the third point. But it is the same God who works all in all. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, you, I try to point this out to you, that variety of gifts, variety of ministries, variety of activities. And then at the end of each of those verses, it says, but the same Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, but the same Lord, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, but the same God, that is God the Father. And so you have the Trinity actively involved in the dispensation of the, or of the, of the distribution of the gifts, we, we look in a few minutes here at um, the Spirit of God being the active agent in giving the gifts, but all three persons of the Trinity are involved. Now, you, know, you may have noticed that from the uh, statements that were made, it says a um, diversities, differences, and diversities. Those words are given again. And it's saying that there's, there's differences. There's a diversity of gifts. There's not um, one single gift. In other words, there's not uniformity. When God gives gifts to his church, he doesn't give every single person the same gift. And Paul talks about this later when he describes the, the um, gifts as being the body of Christ. Can you imagine if if uh, the Holy Spirit gave every single believer in all church, in the entire church age, one gift, and that was the gift that was a tongue. What a grotesque body that would be. But he's given different gifts to make up the entire body um, that we might function in a way that is, the pro- is for the profit of all. So first, there are a variety of gifts. And as I mentioned, spiritual gifts are not talents, natural talents or abilities. In fact, um, I, I hate to tell you this, but unbelievers may be better musicians than we are as believers. Um, many unbelievers, even, even atheists, might be better mathematicians than Christians are. An agnostic better, uh, may be a better CEO of a company. Because God is generous with his distribution of natural gifts and talents. He's the same Lord who says that he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He makes his sun to shine on the evil and the good. And he distributes natural talents to all. So he's a a generous and gracious God. He's good. But I will say this. He never, ever gives spiritual gifts to unbelievers. That doesn't occur. They are supernatural capacities that are meant to equip believers in his church. And these God-given gifts are not, if they're not exercised, the church will suffer. So when Paul uses the illustration of the body to explain the diversity of gifts, we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week, a body is not made up of one single part. It would be useless if it was. There has to be a variety of parts in the body um, working in unity for the body to be healthy and to grow. 
And the same thing applies in the church. There has to be a variety of spiritual gifts working together in unity uh, for the body of Christ to be healthy and to grow. So the Holy Spirit of God makes sure that a variety of gifts is given. And it's our responsibility to use those gifts as he has given them to us. And the purpose of the gift, gifts uh, are for the profit of all. So different gifts, variety of gifts. Second, there is a variety of ministries. The same Lord provides his church with various ministries. And we don't all have the same work to do. Our service is unique, but we all serve the same Lord, and we serve his saints. Our unique ministry was actually prepared for us long before we ever bowed the knee and trusted him as our Lord and Savior. And from the time we were saved until now, that ministry is waiting for us and only us to fulfill it. Do you know that? God has work for you personally to do that he set aside for you to accomplish and no one else. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a work for you to do individually as a believer, and it is for his church, and it is for the building up of his body. 1 Peter 4.10 and 11 says this, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God might be may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Variety of gifts, variety of ministries. Third, there is a variety of activities. Verse 6, each of us is called by God to work in different ways. The key here is that the gifts are to be active. They should be exercised. We should be working. We should be using them. They are not to be kept to ourselves. When I hear Christians say, oh, <clears throat> I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with believers. I just have church at home. It's just me and my four kids and my wife. That's it. That's our church. Nonsense. That's not the, the idea of spiritual gifts. It's the, the, there is an activity that belongs as we all gather together and as we build one another up in our holy faith. If a believer stops fellowshipping with other believers, he is not fulfilling God's plan. God supplies spiritual gifts, and he also makes sure that he supplies the strength to use those gifts and the ability to use those gifts uh, for the glory of God. The variety of activities also strikes against the idea that we all must be involved in the exact same ministries in the exact same way. God may give the gift of mercy to one person who may spend a lifetime of caregiving to an individual believer. That's a gift of mercy. A lifetime of caring for one person. 
But God may give the same gift of mercy to someone who establishes an orphanage to care for hundreds or thousands of children, as he did with George Mueller. Same gift, but a diversity of activities. God may give the same gift of mercy to someone who spends a lifetime going into prisons and, or working with homeless people. Again, same gift, different activity, but it's expressed in a variety of activities. So this verse suggests to me that there is no one else on earth like you. And the activity or the ministry that God has in store for you, he prepared before the foundation of the world. And the activity of you exercising your spiritual gift will be quite different from one person uh, to the other. It'll be unique to you. I was talking to Brother Eddie before the meeting, and I said, it's interesting. When I think about the gifts of the Spirit, God is so unique in in his ways that he has given every single one of us a unique fingerprint. Now, some of your fingerprints, if I compared yours with mine, there would be similarities, but they're unique. Every snowflake is different. God has such a unique variety that when he made you, he threw away the mold. He didn't want to make another one of you. He made somebody else. And, and that somebody else is meant for the building up of the body as well. And there's a work that the Lord has for you to accomplish. And unless you do, it will not get done. Are you doing the work that the Lord has reserved for you? If not, why not? Verse 7, it says, for the profit of all. So the purpose of the gifts is that they are mutually beneficial. You know, we're not, it's not like we're in a competition, you know, to see who's the best server or the best preacher, or the best teacher, or the best what a giver. We're not in a competition. We're not running against each other in a race. It's like a relay race where we're passing the baton on to the next. We're working together as a team. We're working together for the same purpose. We're more like a sports team with coaches and players and goalies. We're all working towards the same goal. But of course, the best illustration is the one that the Lord gave himself, and that is we're a body. We're a body all working together for the benefit of the entire body. Stop and think about it for a minute. How does your body work? How does each member of your body work for the benefit of the entire body? Well, now apply that to the church. How does each member of the church work together for the the benefit of the whole body, exercising his or her spiritual gift so that the body does not suffer? What's the profit? He says, for the profit of all. Most people like to make a profit. It's not a financial gain here, but there is profit. There's benefit that comes uh, from exercising our spiritual gift. I would say this, although this is not the reason for it, when you exercise your spiritual gift, there is actually profit to you personally. I'll give you an illustration this way. When I prepare a sermon... Noah, and I think you've said this before too, when I prepare a sermon and I spend hours and hours studying the scripture, I come away far more blessed than you'll ever come away from my sermon. You know, I, I come away with so much more than I could possibly give to you. So there's, there's personal profit in exercising spiritual gifts. The preacher gets far more out of his studies than the saints do. 
But the saints also receive a profit from his study and from his preparation. And um, they're built up as they hear the truth of the word of God and the body grows in grace and knowledge of the Lord. Saints are then encouraged to exercise their spiritual gifts and then they in turn encourage others to do the same. And those who serve free up those who lead and leaders take the time to encourage saints who are suffering and those who are suffering grow in faith uh, as they take heart to the comfort they have received and claim the the promises of the word of God. And those who receive comfort then reach out to others who are suffering, just as the scripture says, that the comfort you have received is meant for you to be a comforter to others. And those who are suffering sing hymns of praise to the Lord. And how we need singers here in our midst, right? Those songs become an encouragement to ones who are downcast, and they are built up. And those who are built up begin to see ways where they can... Uh, give to others who are in needs, and then needs are met, and lives are changed, and the gospel goes out, and people get saved, and on and on it goes, because individuals are exercising their spiritual gifts in our midst. You cannot possibly measure the profit that comes from you exercising your gift in the church. But we have this promise from the Lord. In Hebrews 6.10 it says this, For God is not unjust to forget your labor, your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God gave us gifts. I don't know if you've ever given a gift to somebody and you expect them to use it, don't you? And there it is, sitting nicely on the shelf, collecting dust. It's a disappointment. You think, well, I I went to a lot of trouble to go out and get that gift. I went to a lot of trouble to buy it and to give you something that I thought was beneficial to you. And here it is sitting on a shelf. What must the Lord do as he looks down from heaven, as he sees us? Are we using the gifts that he specially made just for you? And when we do, the Lord says to us, look, I am not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. I am watching. I am taking note of it all, and I will reward you accordingly. Paul has already told us that there are a variety of gifts, and in verses 8 through 11, we have the first list of nine spiritual gifts. There are actually several lists of gifts in the Scripture, and um, we have uh, nine of them here, and I want you to come back next week to hear about them and some of the other gifts that are in the scripture. So we're going to look next week, Lord willing, at the gifts that the Lord has given to his church and uh, how they might apply to you today in your own personal life and how you might exercise them uh, for, the whole, for the benefit of the whole church, the profit of all. Let's just give him thanks. Father, we thank you for um, your love and your care for us in sending your son to the cross to die for us. We thank you that uh, he died and was buried and rose again the third day. He is ascended and seated at your right hand, and uh, he has sent the Spirit of God to dwell in our hearts. We thank you also for the gifts of the Spirit that you have given to each of us individually. And Lord, we pray that you might make us aware of the gifts that you have given uh, to us, and that we might exercise these gifts for the profit of all. And we ask that you might be glorified in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.